1957, a family of immigrants escaped communist Yugoslavia. He, with his parents, crossed the Adriatic Sea under cover of darkness, by boat, in high winds and dangerous swells. By daybreak, the coast of Italy was visible. They claimed political refugee status and waited. Seventeen months and three refugee camps later, they arrived in the USA. A wedding followed. A son was born. The firstborn in America. I am the son of immigrants. Good evening, friends. My name is Dennis Baderina. I am your host, and welcome to the inaugural episode of The Immigrant Son. I'm going to be up front, right up front, and blunt. I don't know where this channel's going to go. I don't know how it's going to evolve. I know what I've got planned in my head and what I wrote down on paper on what I'd like to do and what I'd like to touch on and talk about. But really, I have no idea how this is going to evolve. That said, a little bit about myself. I am, as the introduction said, the son of immigrants. My parents came here from the former Yugoslavia. My father and his parents escaped, just as the introduction said, a dead of night in a small fishing boat. They made off from one of the islands in the Adriatic, in the northern Adriatic, and made for the Italian coast. Took all night. When they got to Italy, they applied for political asylum, or granted. They already had sponsors here in the United States to help them uh, get their green cards and become citizens, because back in that time, 1957, you had to have sponsors. 17 months they waited in Italy in three different refugee camps, and they finally were allowed entry into the United States. Um, my mom came over about the same time she came over on a student visa. They had known each other over there. My mom and dad, uh, they were dating. She came over on a student visa, and the length of time of the student visa before it ran out, they decided they wanted to get married here. My dad had gotten his green card. They got married, so she was now here in the U.S., got her green card, and in 1963, they became full citizens. Immigrants built this country. They came in waves, you know, first the pilgrims. You know, they were escaping religious persecution at the hands of the British crown. The colonies grew. More and more came in, the English. They settled. They pushed the frontier. After the War of Independence, you know, the British crown kept on doing what they were doing. The... Uh, the country saw the immigration of Irish in the early 1800s. You know, they were fleeing abject poverty at the hands of the crown. Later, you know, late 1800s, 1880 to about 1925, there was an influx of Southern Italian uh, from Southern Italy and Sicily, again, because of grinding poverty and overbearing government. After World War II, you know, we saw another influx of immigrants. This time, most of them came from Russia. You know, those who were lucky enough to be able to get out from underneath Soviet control, they uh, didn't dash off to Iraq or Iran or Cuba or Nicaragua. They all came here for the most part. 
those waves all brought with them solid work ethic. You know, they brought a can-do attitude and ingenuity that we seem to have lost, uh, you know, generation after generation, forgetting its roots, forgetting the sacrifices that were made to bring themselves and their families here to America for a chance at a new life. Not a guarantee by any means, but a chance, you know, just the chance to make it on your own terms without government dictating how things must be done. I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. You know, a few years ago, I was still uh, self-employed. You know, I tried the American dream thing, and for a while it went well. And that venture is for another episode. That's I'm going to talk about that uh, in the future. But I had on a quote on my website's About Us page, you know, and on every website you have the About Us page that almost nobody reads, but hey. Anyway, it was a quote from a motorcycle repair guy in Philadelphia. His name is Adam Kramer. He's still around. Uh, he owns Liberty Vintage Motorcycles in a section of Philadelphia called Fishtown. Now, the Fishtown section of Philly has roots going back to the late 1800s, mid-1800s, right at the tail end of that Irish immigration I mentioned. And Fishtown still, to this day, it's a very hard scrabble neighborhood, a lot of echoes to its Irish heritage. Now, here's a quote which, you know, I think really reflects the loss of connection to our immigrant roots. Adam Kramer had said, I think that despite everything we're facing in this country, the largest problem facing us right now is a deindustrialization of America. Our can-do American spirit is being lost. We don't have that I anymore. You got to be able to go out and do it, and we don't have that. Our children don't know the difference between a flathead screwdriver and a Phillips, and if they did know the difference, they wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. Now, he said this in 2009, and here we are in 2021, you know. Uh, he said that, in, like I said, in 2009 when his garage was lucky enough to be featured in a Discovery Channel special about Philadelphia and all the little towns outlying that were absorbed in the city limits. That quote right there is a perfect example of that lost connection of the current generation to their roots. You know, those immigrants that came to America didn't have a fancy education. They didn't have college degrees. You know, hell, most of them didn't even have the equivalent of a high school diploma. But damn it if they didn't have common sense. And they had the ability to look at something that was busted and figure out how to fix it even if they never saw anything like it before. And, you know, that's because where they came from, there was poverty, crappy wages, poor food quality. When things broke, they fixed it because they couldn't afford to replace it. They learned to grow gardens, not because they were, you know, some hipster vegans that wanted to be in tune with Mother Earth. They learned gardening because they were hungry and they wanted to eat. They got jobs at low wages, sometimes menial labor jobs, because to them it instilled, it sorry, it instilled a sense of pride, you know, that they had a job, that they felt human. They were free. One of those earliest memories that I have, my grandfather, it's my dad's dad, was living in an apartment 
where he was the superintendent of the building, and we had an apartment on the opposite end. Now, my grandfather was old country. He made his own wine. He distilled his own grappa. You know, I can remember being probably five, six years old, helping him grind the grape mash into uh, the barrels, the fermentation barrels, and then waiting for it to ferment, and then I would help him bottle it up. And then we would start what we would call a second wine, you know, the, uh, the everyday dinner wine. That's where you add sugar and water into the mud that's left, and you make a second batch of wine. Look it up. It's, uh, you can find stuff on that online. Anyway, that memory sticks with me to the point that every so often, I'll go ahead and make a batch of wine here at home. I'll go ahead and brew a, brew a five-gallon batch of beer for myself. Because it reminds me of my grandfather, and it provides me that connection to that immigrant spirit of do-it-yourself that, you know, we seem to have lost. In that same basement where he was, you know, making wine, there was a maintenance shop that he would do his repairs on faucets, toilets, doors, some basic carpentry, all the stuff that, you know, the tenants needed. Like I said, he was a superintendent of the apartment building. And I can remember on Saturday mornings when my mom wanted to go out and do some shopping, he would walk over from his apartment to ours, and he would take me down into the workshop, uh, you know, while my mom went out and did her things. And sometimes, more times than not, he would get an old hunk of wood, box of nails, and a small um, upholstery hammer, a small eight-ounce hammer, and he would tell me to go to town and just nail the hell out of that board and put all those nails in there, you know? And I'd be happy as a pig in mud. I'd spend hours having a blast hammering the hell out of that piece of wood until it splintered and fell apart. You know, and I thought it was just fun to smack the hell out of it. But, uh, you know, that old character in Karate Kid, that Mr. Miyagi, that was my grandfather. You know, I was having fun. He knew that I was developing muscle memory, skill, learning how to hammer a nail straight. You know, and the following weekend, he had me cutting the ends of garden stakes for his tomato plants, you know, so he can tie them up. And it wasn't work as far as I was concerned, because it was a five-year-old with a 24-inch handsaw that can mangle a finger in the blink of an eye, you know. And all he told me was, you better be careful. You cut off your finger, it's your own damn fault. You know, and I think about today, if someone saw a dad or a granddad handing a hammer and a box of nails or a, or a handsaw to a five-year-old and telling the kid to have a blast with a old hunk of wood, some busybody would make a frantic call to 911 or Child Protective Services and some bureaucratic office would descend like locusts. You know, I've, I watched my grandfather fix, I mean fix coffee percolators. Back then we didn't have drip, we had a percolator. You know, toasters, irons, air conditioning units, lawnmowers, you name it, you know. Our family moved away uh, to New Jersey when I was about nine because my dad got a job in Philly. And from that point till about I turned 14, I would spend the summer times with my grandparents. Uh, I can remember when I was 11, my grandfather decided he wanted a boat and to go fishing with. He lived out on Long Island. So that summer that I was visiting, me and him built a small 12-foot wooden boat. 
and I can still remember every step making it, and I could probably build one exactly like it right now if the mood struck me. And that's something to be said for being an immigrant, you know, or having immigrant parents or grandparents. You know, kids and grown-ups today would look at you working in a driveway building a boat and go, did you see that guy? He's building a boat in his driveway. He's a crackpot. Meanwhile, you know, we have jobs that educated people would never do because it's either beneath them or they don't know how. You know, so many of those jobs that are available in the trades go unfilled because people think it's menial labor. But those were the jobs that the immigrants would take. And it's not because it was low-skilled, but because they had the knowledge and the ability to do it, which a lot of today's generation haven't got a clue to do for themselves. Uh, You know what else is really important to immigrant families? Food. Specifically, dinner at the table as a family unit. You still see it today with some immigrant families, especially, you know, the ones that are coming in from Central and South America that are recent arrivals. You know, what's really sad is that after one or two generations born here, that gathering family around a dinner table as a unit, you know, sharing that family bond, that's going to be gone. You know, I remember when I was growing up going to relatives' homes for weekend dinners, About once a month, we would go out to a different relative's home, get there early on a Saturday, and just start hanging out with cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents. You know, a gathering of about 12 to 15 was small. It was roughly around 20 to 25 people. Kids running around playing in the yard, ladies all pitching in to cook, men arguing about something stupid. You know, and then after dinner, men would go down and into the basement and play poker till midnight. Cousins would be out in little groups playing board games, uh, you know, and moms would be gossiping in the kitchen over coffee, you know. And if you're lucky enough to know an immigrant family right off the boat or, you know, here we in, in 2021, fresh from crossing the border, you know, most of them are coming in from Latin America, try to pay attention to their schedule, you're going to see that they, even in 2021, do the same things that my family did in 1965. You know, if you're lucky enough to get invited to one of those family gatherings, watch and learn. You'll see the dynamics of what a family is. You know, and that right there is what being an immigrant is. It's home, hearth, and it's central to what an immigrant family is. And just what, you know, is the core Okay, I'm going to pause here and ask all of you if you like this podcast so far, and I hope at least one of you does, please put in put it in your notification list. Uh, you know, tell other folks about it. Just spread the word. You know, I really would appreciate it. And, you know, throw some feedback. Uh, don't have a Facebook for this yet, um, but I think you can put some feedback into the uh, Buzzsprout site that I have this posted up on. Uh, drop an email to Dennis at the immigrantsson.com. Immigrants is plural in there. And if you're so inclined to throw a couple of shekels out to support the effort, well, I haven't figured out the whole Patreon thing yet. So maybe do something nice for someone, you know, donate a couple bucks to the Shriners Hospital. Now that, the Shriners Hospital, leads me to the tail end of the program uh, a little bit about me. As you probably figured out, I'm the son of immigrants. 
I am a U.S. Navy veteran, served from 1978 to 84, honorably discharged. I'm not really religious, but I am spiritual, and I do believe that we have a creator. Don't know what it is. Nobody knows what it is, but I do believe it's up there, out there. I'm also a Freemason. And on an aside, uh, next week podcast is going to look at the influence of immigrants on fraternal organizations, uh, things like the Freemasons, Knights of Columbus, uh, Sons of Italy. I'm going to talk about the effects of those fraternal organizations on the immigrant communities. Uh, you know, before social media, like way before social media, like back in the 1950s, Stone Age. Immigrants sought out fraternal organizations, and the influence went in both directions. It's really, really interesting, you know, what they were drawn to and how much those fraternal in, uh, the fraternal organizations helped them out as immigrants when they came in to the country. Uh, another thing that I'm going to speak on next week is going to be the effect of politics with immigrants. Back in the day, politics was more was not like it is today. Politics back then was more structured. At the local level, at least, you had wards and you had ward leaders. And the way your candidate got elected to, you know, county level things is he made sure that he took care of people who were down and out. You know, somebody lost their job or was laid off, um, you know, this is back in the days when coal was still being delivered to homes. You know, if somebody got laid off, they didn't have any, any way to heat the house. The ward leader, not the politician, the ward leader would make sure that you got an oil delivery or a coal delivery so that you could make it through, you know, one or two cold months, January, February. And he would make sure that you that you knew which party was that took care of you. And he would let you know very nicely that it would be nice if, you know, when election time come around, you remember what, what the uh, party did for you. And whoever the candidate was that was on the ticket, if you can throw him a vote or two, not two, your family could vote for him is what I meant. Um, they really, really appreciate it. Uh, politics was not what it is today, and politics back then actually helped folks at the local level, and you don't see that anymore. And again, that harkens back to ward leaders were immigrants themselves. Um, you know, some of the strongest wards, political wards, were in New York, uh, in Philadelphia, Baltimore, uh, Boston. Uh, Boston was almost 100% Irish, but wards were how the immigrants took care of their own. They would get involved in politics. They would have influence. They would help out those who were, uh, who were down and out. And that's something that we've lost. You know, it's, politics has grown into this, into this huge leviathan where everybody has aspirations of making it to the top. And that's not really what the immigrant community did. The immigrant community took care of their own at the local level. They really weren't concerned with politics as it was. They looked, they looked inward and they looked home. So, uh, like I said, that's next week. I really won't, I'm going to be discussing 
and I really want to hit on it hard, uh, the fraternal organizations and politics and how all that intertwined. I really do hope you enjoyed uh, my first attempt here, along with the ums and ohs and the pauses, uh, sometimes pregnant pauses. And if you feel so inclined, like I said, please go ahead and put me on your notification list. I'll be coming back next Monday. I appreciate you uh, finding me, looking me up, seeing the uh, link, clicking on it, and see what this guy's all about. And I hope to talk to you again soon. You all have a great week. God bless. God bless.